And now, our feature presentation. I like it spooky. Hey everybody, welcome to I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast. I'm Brian. I am Clint, and Thanksgiving is over. So we can finally start talking about Christmas, which really excites me because that means we are that much closer to Halloween. And there's some great Christmas horror movies. Other than Halloween, that's probably the second largest group of horror movies as far as a holiday. There's not much other than Thanksgiving, Easter Bunny Massacre. There's more Christmas horror than Thanksgiving horror for sure. But like when we chose the episode, or the episode, when we chose the movie to discuss in this episode, it was kind of hard to find one that wasn't so blatantly on the head Christmas. Uh, but you're right, there's a lot of them coming up and a lot of new Christmas horror stuff in the news. Hey, Brian, speaking of news, let's get to some. Well, actually, I have a couple news stories this episode. So I was looking for news, and I stumbled on a Rick and Morty episode where they explore the science behind Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. And if you go to Bloody Disgusting, there's a link to a video. I watched it. It's kind of funny. They bury Ben Franklin to get him to come back alive, and then he comes back evil. So they shoot him, <laughs> and then they wrap him in aluminum foil and bury him again to see what happens. Morty's battery dies on his cell phone. And he's like, well, can I bury my cell phone? And Rick's like, no, you're an idiot. He's like, oh, so you can be curious, but I can't. <laughs> so then they start like they bury a kangaroo halfway. They're burying a car. There's also another part in the episode where they do a maximum overdrive Ooh. with clothes. So maybe like slacks. I don't know. I'm going to have to go back and watch the episode. Did you ever see the Rick and Morty? You ever watch that show? I never got into Rick and Morty. No. There's an episode, and it's my favorite episode to this day. It's in the first season, I believe. It's got the Freddy character, Scary Terry. So it's like a Freddy Krueger Nightmare on Elm Street spoof, but uh, he always says, "Oh, bitch, and he's got like little razor hands. It's my favorite episode. I'm sure uh, there's no copyright on Scary Terry, but where I live in Michigan, just north of me out of Lansing, you know, the, the capital state or capital city of Michigan, the Q106, which is a rock station, has been for years. And on Saturdays, they have uh, like a hard rock, heavy metal block. It's like three hours with Scary Terry. Been a, he's got like balls on his face. You know, his face is kind of burnt but his chin looks like two balls uh, i don't know if the one that i listen to does if he looks like a <laughs> dick face <laughs> maybe that's why he's on the radio and not on tv <laughs> yeah he has a face for radio <laughs> oh that's funny no i never got into rick and morty but i'm you'll have to share the link because i want to watch that it sounds like fun my other news is also from bloody disgusting and scream box it's called visitors ultra gory japanese anthology in the vein of evil dead now on Screenbox. so it says Screenbox and midnight pulp are excited to unleash visitors the complete edition kanichi yugana's japanese anthology movie that opens with one of the goriest shorts ever seen so this is this is new fresh stuff this isn't some it says after premiering at this year's fantastic fest visitors made its way to vod platform screen box before heading to midnight pulp at a later date and then there's a trailer i mean the the first picture is a girl throwing up in someone's mouth and then somebody covered in blood there's a chainsaw there's somebody with half their face gone there's a bar where the toppers to the 
little alcohol bottles or people's heads. Looks fun. When my oldest was a baby, she threw up in my mouth. That was tons of fun. I was on my back and I was airplaning her, you know, and then I was called an erp, you know, baby. It's not like they don't throw up, but it's like just kind of erps up. Oh, it was so gross. And I'm like, yay. And right in my down my throat. If you go a little further down in the article, it also says also recently added to Screenbox is Door, an extremely rare home invasion slasher movie from 1988 that has never been screened outside of Japan and has just been remastered. It says a lonely housewife is held hostage in her own apartment by an increasingly deranged door-to-door salesman and this forgotten home invasion masterpiece. Well, that's some interesting news, kind of off the beaten path for what we normally talk about. I like that. Screenbox has been kind of popping up on my radar a lot more lately because they are doing um, a lot of the stuff that Terrorvision puts out is ending up on Screenbox. So I don't know if they have like a you know an agreement with them, like we're going to put movies out and then you can put it on your service. So it helps me because then I can leave my Terrorvision stuff sealed, you know, just leave it sealed up there because I saw Cube was on there and I saw some other stuff that Terrorvision had put on. End of the Line is on there, which I need to check out. I like you talking about leaving stuff sealed. It's been a while, but don't forget, people, hashtag save the box. Save the box with Screenbox. There, we just came up with a new logo for them. TerraVision, the first couple I got came in like little plastic bags even. So they're double sealed. So what about you? What kind of news you got? I'm sure everybody by now has heard some scuttlebutt about the Scream 7 drama. And there has been multiple articles on multiple great news platforms. But I came across this one. This is the most recent one as of this recording. You'll hear this episode two weeks after we're recording it. So I'm sure things might change. But uh, Bloody Disgusting did an article about Scream 7. New report sheds light on the current plans. For people who don't know, Melissa Barrera kind of took over as the, the lead heroine in Scream. I think she came in around Scream 5. Of course, she was in Scream 6 and they're uh, in pre-production for Scream 7. And she took to social media, you know, made some comments about the current Israel-Hamas war and, you know, the how the, you know, the whole political stance on that. She was removed from the film. And then a lot of people were going after the director and the director took to social media and was like, hey, stop yelling at me. He's like, I had nothing to do with this. So it sounds like that decision was from the higher ups at, I believe, Spyglass. But this latest um, article on Bloody Disgusting, it says here that in an article in Variety, it seemed to some fans like the planned sequel was collapsing in real time. However, before Barrera was fired, plans for the next screen were being retooled. The article doesn't say that's the reason. They're not trying to scapegoat it. They're just saying that the production already had problems. Uh, then, of course, following that, Jenna Ortega, uh, I think in, to show support and solidarity, decided to leave. It has required the creative team to make some alterations. So everything is kind of up in the air, but it looks like it was being retooled anyway. They are working on still trying to be able to put out this film. Variety reports, they also mentioned that Nev Campbell and Patrick Dempsey, you know, the studio has shown interest in them coming on, but they make it clear that neither actor has been in active negotiation. Yeah, I'd heard that uh, the Jenna Ortega thing was actually in the works for the past several months because of Wednesday season two, but I'm like, really? You can't figure that out? Spyglass, Paramount, whoever's behind it, you know, the big backing company couldn't figure that out with Netflix to have her film both. Really? Well, it does say here, as you, as you say that, let's see, another source familiar with the franchise says that Ortega was never in the mix for the new film. I don't know. I should have talked about this because it's a big deal. You know what I mean? Uh, for the franchise, for the slasher subgenre, 
you know, I think Scream, you know, has continued to move forward and move move fairly strong. And I was excited to see a new one. So this is unfortunate. At this point, it is still kind of a, you really got to read between the lines of this, but they're still going to be moving forward. Yeah, it's going to be one of those movies in 20 years on this episode of Netflix's cursed film, Scream 7. (laughs) Exactly. Everybody will hate it. Again, 20 years from now, it'll have like a cult following. It'll be some people's favorite Scream movie because it's so awful. Um, There'll be a producer's cut like there was for Halloween 6. Mm, Oh, God. (laughs) The cult of Thorn comes back in Scream 7 and Scream 8. And all the, all the killers are were in the cold of thorn. We already wrote the movie. What they just need to have us come in. Exactly. You know, money makes the world go round, and we just help them out. Maybe they'll give us ten percent because I could use some money, man. Christmas is knocking at the door. So on this episode of Why Are We Poor. I got some movies and I got a new shelf. So I have room for these movies. There's no pile over here anymore. I had boxes still sealed. So this is from uh, Ronin Flicks. This is an order I got. I got Opposing Force, Civilization Ends, and Survival Begins. I'll share these on the socials. Robot Holocaust. I swear I've seen that. I remember that title. Lord, the guy on the back don't have really any clothes on except for a belt to hold his gun. Well, maybe that's why I remember it. Opera, Dario Argento. The music's great. Ooh, Rollerball. That's fun. Did you like the sequel? I just watched the first one for the first time a couple months ago, and it was so late I started it, and I was like, okay, I got to go to bed and finish it the next day. I don't even know if that was a sequel or if it was a reboot. You know what I'm talking about. It's a more modern film. came out 15 years ago or maybe maybe should maybe even 20 years ago. Shark's Treasure. It's got sharks in it. That looks about as bad as Deep Red that we covered in the Severn Double feature. And Lawnmower Man 2. Job's War. Isn't Job like an Amish name? I don't know. What's he doing with a lawnmower? Well, maybe he doesn't. It's not a gas lawnmower. Six movies. They were on sale for like five bucks each and five dollar shipping. So it was like 35 bucks for all these. It was like two months ago, a, a month ago, a Halloween sale, maybe. So I've got my new three tier shelf over here that was like 140 bucks on Amazon. It was half price. So I was like, well, I got to buy one of those. I need one anyway. The only other thing I got was the new uh, Slasher Design Co. Joe Bob poster finally came in, which is very pretty. Yeah, the Halloween episode. I'll share that. I think I already shared that on the socials. I can share it again, though. It's worth a share. It's a, it's a pretty poster. And refresh my memory, that's not the one you were waiting for from the Jamboree, is it? No, the one from the Jamboree is... I've already shown it, but I was supposed to get an autograph copy, so I'll have to send them a message. I need to send them a message anyway. I'm behind on some of my Patreon supporter stuff, and they know what I need now because somebody has taken that over for uh, Darcy because it was just becoming too much with the show and all the stuff she does. So she's got some people helping her now and they're great about answering emails and stuff. You haven't uh, sent them your weekly letter where you cut out the different letters from different magazines and their different sizes. They're like, maybe that guy finally kicked the bucket. We haven't got that stalker mail in a while. Can you do that on email? That'd be cool. Yeah, well, you just get fonts. You just get, I actually have some, I have some fonts I can send you. That'd be funny as hell. That would take fucking forever though. Well, it'd be worth it. What about you? Did you get anything? Uh, you know, the only thing I've got is a gallon of mountain mint green paint. What are you going to do with that? 
Well, it's paint. I'm going to paint with it. Oh, okay. I didn't know if you had something in mind. Like No. So if you listen to the the last episode where we covered Thanksgiving, Eli Ross Thanksgiving, I made the announcement that I'm stepping back into the haunt world. I'm not going to go into another explanation right now about that. It's, it's too long. Uh, but I'm in the process of starting to refurbish some buildings at this huge complex. And I'm starting with the old golden nugget that we're going to turn into. That'll be open all year round. And it's going to be, that's going to be axe throwing, escape room, live events, uh, splatter paint room, smash room, and some other stuff. But my idea with that is everything's going to be psych ward kind of themed, old school asylum, which Brian, you work in old hospitals and you used to work in a psych ward. So you're kind of familiar with what I'm saying. You know, all the old hospitals and old municipal buildings and, you know, stuff like that all had that like, ugly mint green color on the walls and so i bought a gallon of paint when we get done recording i'm actually going to head out there and splatter some around and i had this uh, design idea in my head to bring that feel out so that's all i spent my money on christmas is like i'm getting ready probably later today i'm going to be sitting down and ordering those gifts and i got to get some winter coats for the girls and it's going to be a while before i buy anything fun to have on the show here yeah, I had shared a lot of the sales that were coming up for Black Friday, and I bought absolutely nothing. Because what do you, I mean, what do you buy? I am a TerraVision subscriber. I'm a Vinegar Sim- Syndrome subscriber. What do I need to buy? I'll circle back around, you know, when things kind of settle down. I am going to grab Cemetery Man eventually from Severn Film. You need to watch that, and we should discuss it on the show. Yeah, it's not streaming anywhere. It was hard to find back in the the days of video stores. I remember, Brian, you know where I live and you know where Ann Arbor is, right? So there was one video watch that became Hollywood Video over in Ann Arbor, like on the outskirts of Ann Arbor, that had one copy. That was the only place I could find one around me. And this, you know, we're talking late 90s. And so I was always driving. I think someone like rented it and just never brought it back. It never showed up. I can't remember how I finally saw that film. You need to watch it. Well, it sounds like I need money for movies and you need money for paint. I need more paint. Yeah, I probably still have a bill from the psych ward that I worked at. I mean, uh, yeah, they owe me money. Yeah, that. Yeah, a a paycheck, right? Quote unquote paycheck. Paycheck, yeah. Creepy fucking liar. (laughs) My doctor says it's not lies. (laughs) (laughs) So we should probably take it to a sponsor. Yeah, we got to pay Brian's doctor bill. The global community for podcasts, Good Pods, is a fast-growing, award-winning free podcast player and discovery app where you can listen to, discover, and share all your favorite podcasts and shows. Available on iPhone and Android app stores or at goodpods.com, it is the place to follow your friends, discover new podcasts, track your podcast listens, and bookmark new podcasts for later. Sign up today for your free account at goodpods.com. So now that we've heard from our sponsor, it's time for our movie. In this episode, we're covering the 1983 horror film Covered in Snow, because it's December, Curtains. Behind every curtain, someone is waiting. Someone is watching. Someone is hiding. What waits behind the curtains is exciting, frightening, sensual, terrifying, and bizarre.
You got a synopsis, Clint? I do. It's short and sweet, not like the movie. Six young actresses auditioning for a movie role at a remote mansion are targeted by a mysterious masked murderer. Yeah, that's about as simple as this movie is going to get. I think what happened is Eli Roth watched this movie and it was one of his favorites. And then he's like, I can just make this into a Thanksgiving film. You know, so as I'm watching this film, this is going to be another Basher episode. Uh, I can tell Brian didn't care for it. I honestly didn't care for it. But I'll tell you what is I was writing the notes for this and I you know, started at the beginning and I, and I go through to the end. I was like, there is a lot of elements about this movie that I really, really, really love. But the overall package, the overall product is just way off the mark. So we chose Curtains because, I, Brian, you've never seen this, right? I don't think any of us have ever, have ever seen this flick. No, this is a first time watch. It is something that I have, you know, I knew was there and I've been wanting, wanting to see. And I think you've probably seen it too. Yeah, and we chose it because we wanted to do something Christmassy, but we didn't want to like really like hit the nail on the head and do Silent Night, Deadly Night, or Christmas Evil, or and then so we're like, well, what movie are we going to cover? And we oh, this one has snow in it. We both wanted to see it. You know, if you watch the trailer, you see snow and and ice skating. So I was like, perfect, let's do it. Not to mention, it's got the great poster, like so many other like '80s horror did in the video store. The trailer's decent, and the killer's creepy as shit. On the poster, I don't know which one you see, but uh, it's somebody in the bathroom is the one I see. And it says six beautiful girls trying to get ahead. When the curtains fall, five will be dead. The one I've always seen is it's where it's like a creepy looking doll, almost like a zombie doll. And the curtains are behind it and the curtains kind of form form like this disheveled face or whatever. All I know is, like I say, it the, the cover art for the movie, it catches your eye. It's beautiful. But like a lot of films from that era, it wound up being false advertising. Because, I mean, I don't know about what you think, Brian, but this movie was like the sleeper that never woke up. We had talked about earlier troubled movies. It sounds like this was a troubled movie. Another one that, you know, it's a Canadian film. It's got some decent actors. I mean, John Vernon's in this. He's great. But yeah, just never found its footing. It couldn't decide what it wanted to be. I think that's one of the things that I read was it couldn't figure out, did it want to be a giallo film? Did it want to be a slasher film? Did it want to be a, you know, a whodunit, which is a giallo thing? But yeah, just couldn't figure out what it wanted. Well, I, I read that the production was plagued with problems. Uh, and it was shot in 1980, and then it was actually shelved for a year, and it underwent rewrites, reshoots, and some recasting. And then, of course, it was released in 83. Uh, so, yeah, it, it is just kind of a victim of a troubled production. I'm curious if it would have been an overall more coherent film if it didn't have all those elements. Yeah, and we open with the film. It's the a director and his girlfriend, maybe the actress that he wants to have as the lead in his film. Yeah, and you could tell that they had a relationship. They are going to an insane asylum. She wants to be committed so that she can be a method actor, actress. Yeah, she wanted to study the mentally ill to prepare for this masterpiece role of Audra. It was weird because it kept referring to film, but everything was very theatrical. So I don't know. She goes in and he leaves her there. He's like, got rid of her. 
time to go. Well, you know, it, it was interesting about that. She went there to study for the role of the fictional character who's apparently insane, which I'm pretty sure that there's an easier way to do character study than to subject yourself to that madness. But what's interesting is as time goes on, you see that she is actually starting to break down and go insane. And Brian, your time spent in the mental institution. I mean, I'm sure you can attest to that. The longer you're there, the crazier you go. Well, yeah, the, when I worked there, the staff was on more ca- medication than any of the patients. No, I, you're right. I, I was, I was kind of trying to make a stupid joke about it. But I, you know, I know people who are prison guards, and there's after a while, you take that stuff home with you. There's only so much you can see and be exposed to. We talk about in healthcare, we almost should be trained like we're going into combat because with healthcare, you deal with PTSD and all this stuff that most people don't deal with. But you don't get that kind of training going to healthcare. You know, they want it all to be, you know, happy and butterflies and puppies. And it's like people's kids don't die at Disney World. So yeah, I would imagine being in a place like that and seeing other people that have those issues, it would weigh on you. And eventually you're going to start having issues. You're left alone with your mind lot because what do you, you you don't go to work and who knows what kind of medications they would have been feeding her to treat her illness that she didn't have that was part of that too is she was exposing herself to you know uh therapies whether it be physical or mental and yeah i was thinking medications i know it's a fictional character and this is you know a fictional story but there's got to be easier ways to do what she wants to do and it made me think of gunner hansen when Gunnar Hansen prepared for the Leatherface role in the 1974 Chainsaw Massacre, he knew that he wanted Leatherface to be almost like um, a small, mentally challenged child, you know, with growth issues, mentally gro- mental growth issues. And uh, so he went and spent time with with children like that and then just observed them. But he didn't commit himself to the, to the fucking place, you know. He just went and spent some time with them and picked up some of their tics and their, their mannerisms. Yeah, there's got to be an easier way. But I mean, it's a movie, so it's dramatic. So that's what you want to do. I tell you what, though, the supporting actresses who played the mental patients in this movie, they were superb and they were my favorite part of the movie. I have seen many failed attempts at trying to act crazy through haunted attraction um, actor interviews and people who take something. You got to have a certain something in you to be able to bring it out and portray that. And I wish I could hire all those actresses. They were amazing in those roles. Well, and I've often said that you people overact when they're trying to act like they have mental insanity or mental issues. If you're truly mentally insane and you're having a break, you don't know that you, anything's wrong with you. I always tell people, if someone says, I see a blue elephant sitting on the counter over there, they see a blue elephant. You can tell them whatever you want. To them, it's there. You're not going to rationalize it. You're not going to tell it, talk it away. To them, their mind is telling them it's there. So they, to them, nothing's wrong. You know, maybe something's wrong, but it's logical to them. It's there to them. And so many people overact with that. They run around screaming and carrying on. And that's not what most mentally ill patients do. I know this. 26 minutes into this film, and it still wasn't there. No. This was such a sleeper, and that's what I wrote in my notes. I'm, I'm 26 minutes into the film before any action. There was a period of action, and that wound up being a dream, but it actually wasn't. And then it was shortly after that, over a half hour, before the story even started to take any sort of shape where I thought I could be sort of sure what I was watching. We're, we're talking a lot about Asylum, this Asylum scene, which took up a good chunk of the opening act, but that actually didn't play much of a part in it. No, other than building her character and her hatred for, what was his name, Jonathan? 
Jonathan Straker, and that was played by John Vernon. So Brian referenced John Vernon earlier. If you don't know who John Vernon is, probably the most recognizable for, for our world is he was Officer Mooney in Killer Clowns from Outer Space. So you hear his voice, you know who he is because you've heard it before. But uh, yeah, other than building her hatred for Jonathan, it doesn't really serve much purpose in the movie. I mean, you didn't have to drag that out for that long. No, and then the movie really starts to take shape of the movie that I think it was supposed to be. Like I say, well over a half hour in, Jonathan Stryker wants to cast the role of Audra in his next movie. And he brings these six actresses into this creepy mansion secluded in the snowy wilderness to audition for this role through a series of method acting techniques. But we don't get that for well over a half hour. So it's these weird sewn together series of event, events that you just see these different actresses, but I didn't realize it was that's what was going on. Well, yeah, you get the one girl playing with a puppet, so she's a comedic actress. You get the girl that's a, a skater, so an ice skater. I'm not sure what that has to do with anything. Maybe she's from a show that he saw and was like, oh, I really like her look, and I think she would be good for the role. Let's bring her out and see what she does. Very little character development, though. You get the one girl that's a floozy, I guess, that kind of into the kinky stuff maybe she's not a floozy but you know she's into the kinky stuff and she's into the casting hot tub she's like oh look it's like a casting couch it's the hot tub and i started watching this on paramount and i couldn't see anything i was like god this movie's so dark and i was like is that on purpose so i got up to do something and i was gone long enough that it shut off on paramount so i was like i'm gonna go to tubi and see if that one's any better and it was a little lighter so I could kind of see, but still, the movie was so dark. I watched it on Tubi, and I have it in my notes too. It was like underexposed, and I, you know, that didn't help that the film quality was extremely dark. So it was not only am I having a hard time trying to figure out what's going on with the story, I was having a hard time visually and mentally figuring out what the hell was going on. I, I couldn't see anything, but I do love. They had some some great moments, and one of the one of them I like is when the later on in the movie when the killer with the mask on is sitting in the back of the cab and like the movie member memorabilia uh, exhibit or whatever and the flashing light you see the killer you don't see the killer you see the killer you don't see the killer and i love that fucking mask the mask is fantastic underused for sure absolutely underused i think i loved it because of my you know deep fear of old women so this was a scary movie for you when i saw that mask not enough character development so i did not care about any of these characters again another movie where i do not care anything about any of the characters is there a final girl? I mean, somebody survives. I wrote that down too. It's it's not really a final girl. Spoiler alert, we'll jump ahead, then we'll come back. But at the end of this movie, there are only two people that survive. And they wind up both being killers. But it's not like you think. They're not a team. They're not working together. Well, only one survives in the end end. Oh, that's right. No, you're right. I was thinking both. Yeah, but she, the one killer killed the other killer. Yeah, you're right. Well, hell, this is going to be, this might be the shortest episode ever because that's the whole damn movie. <laughs> It's, I don't have, I've got some more, but. Yeah, there's deaths in between. I mean, but there's not much of consequence that happens through the movie. I mean, some acting, some screaming. You know what's interesting, though, is I didn't care much for the, about the characters either. Like you said, there was no real character development. And this is kind of what I said earlier. It had a lot of great elements. The acting, all the acting was superb. I, I, the actors were on point. They clicked together. It's just, I don't think they, they had a muddled story to go with. It had a lot of extended scenes, like the ice skating scene. That scene took forever. And then I thought her reaction to the frozen doll in the snow was odd. I thought it was a dead body, and then I was like, oh, it's a doll. And what the fuck was up with that doll anyway? It's just like, 
No idea. They never explained why the doll played a part in it. The, the, there was this very zombie-like looking, creepy-ass fucking, what, probably three-foot, four-foot, probably three-foot doll that would appear before someone was going to get killed. But then that only happened in a couple of the deaths, and it never explained why. And then it just, the doll just went away. Like an old porcelain, creepy doll that would just be out in the middle of the road, in the snowbank. I, I don't remember where else it was, but it's like, this is weird. I think that was it. Yeah, this is odd. Just because it's on the front of the poster, maybe? They had to throw it in there? It wasn't in the casting hot tub. I wonder if that was one of those elements that, you know, I said rewrites and reshoots. I wonder if they're like, man, we don't have enough creepiness in this. So, I don't know. Grab that doll over there. Well, or it was on the poster. So, they're like, well, we got to put it in the movie now. I did, though, and I rarely do I do this. I physically jumped. The scene where the dancer was dancing, which was another extended scene, but the dancers in the dance studio just kind of almost looks like she's doing like a warm-up dance, a lot of these weird um, exaggerated movements and stretches. And then you're just kind of mesmerized by watching her dance. And it gets to a a real close-up of her face and chest and she's dancing. And out of nowhere, the killer's hand comes up behind her and there's this loud smack and grabs her and then she jams a knife in her or something. I jumped. I didn't see, I didn't see it. It was like that Carrie at the end of the, at the end of Carrie moment, you know, the first time you watch Carrie, I jumped. That's one of the things that happens too throughout the movie is you get the hot tub scene and then you get the scene where the two girls are acting and one's playing a man and one's playing a female and there's some sexual tension there and some side breast. Reluctantly going to feel her breast. And so again, it's like, well, is this, what is this? Is this an 80s slasher? Is this a 70s giallo film? Is this somewhere in between? Because we hadn't gotten to the 90s where sex was kind of taken out of horror movies. It's got to be the rewriting, you know, the rewriting and the all the issues that it never went totally one way or the other. Because the hot tub scene, you don't really see much of anything. It's so dark. You know, speaking of the hot tub scene, there was one other notable star besides John Vernon in this movie. And I can't believe I recognize him because, again, the film's so dark, you barely see him. It was the handyman Matthew, and he was played by Michael Wincott, who, as you might know, is top dollar from The Crow. He had the long hair and the really deep voice and the the Asian half-sister slash lover. And then you probably, you might know him from Strange Days. And I think he was recently in um, Jordan Peele's Up. This was one of his earlier films. I've actually seen him recently. Um, I've been, I've gone back and I've been watching Crime Story from the mid to late 80s. And uh, he's got a recurring role in that as a gangster. Well, and Lynn Griffin is in this. I'm not sure which character she plays, but she was in Black Christmas and then uh, Strange Brew. Lynn Griffin, um, she plays the comedian in Curtains, which, should we give the spoiler? No, let's not give the spoiler. Maybe someone else will watch it. But Lynn Griffin, yeah, okay, I didn't recognize her until you said that, but she was in Black Christmas, and she, this is about the same time, too. What was she, was she the drunk? No, the drunk was uh, the lady from um, Amityville, Margaret Kidder, I think. Yeah, I didn't I didn't catch that until you said it. Hell, she was in Thanksgiving. No. It says filmography, Thanksgiving. She played the grandma. Played the grandma. He had to watch this fucking movie. (laughs) Lynn Griffin is grandma. What grandma? When was there a grandma? Oh, at the beginning of the film, 
when they're you know having dinner there the very beginning damn it now i gotta go look i've already had to watch that <laughs> film twice because i i went and saw it by myself i could watch it in time for us to you know record and discuss it and then on thanksgiving i went and took the girls because they wanted to see it so i sat and now i gotta watch it a third time jesus christ you cannot tell me that eli roth did not watch this movie and black christmas and say i'm gonna make a thanksgiving movie these are the two movies i'm gonna clone it after it's gotta be i wish she would have pulled this element from this film because there were a couple action camera work sequences that i loved the one was where they were running through the curtains and that screamed italian giallo to me then there was another one where one of the uh, actresses in this film finds the the head in the toilet and she kind of puts her hands on her head and screams and the camera pulls back and cranes up really quick those were just they were interesting because they were a little different and fit the the tone but you keep talking about is it this type of movie is it that type of movie this is how I I said it's a richly dramatic slasher, and this was very much like an Ita- or an American-made Italian giallo horror flick. Did you like Thanksgiving more on your second watch? Same. The same. Um, if anything, it didn't drag as much. Kind of like the drive there is always long, and the drive home seems like it's quicker because you're familiar with the surroundings. But uh, when I got done, you know, the girls and I sat there and discussed it, and the discussion wasn't long like it is in some other movies, and they were the same as you and I, which they have my influence, and I tried to keep it away from them so they could still enjoy it. But they, we were all just like, eh. So now there's five of us that think it's okay. It's just like Alice's Restaurant. If you listen to that song, you know, towards the end, he talks about starting a movement. That's what we're doing. We're starting a movement. Oh, well, there's five of us because everybody else still this week has been like, I love that movie. I love it. And I'm like, go watch Dark Harvest. It's so much better. I don't know that they will, but I mean. Or go watch some actual authentic early 80s slashers and see if you enjoy those better. Not necessarily Curtains. I'm not telling you not to watch Curtains, but I, I don't think that Curtains is better than Thanksgiving. No, I put it on the same level, if anything. It, it's got some great elements, but I don't think it's it's better. You know, we're talking about the comedian. So screw it. I guess I am going to give it away. The comedian, the actress who played the comedian in this movie, who we found out plays the grandma in Thanksgiving. I guess the killer. When she had the, the lines, she's in the mansion and she's kind of dismissed as being a joke. And then she gets in John Stryker's face, John Vernon's face, and was like, I could be serious too. And that whole monologue, I'm like, she's the killer. When she said that, I could be serious too. I was like, she's going to show you how serious she can be. That was probably the best monologue of the film. Well, and you said we have two killers because Samantha does kill John Stryker at the end, right? She shoots him? She does. So Samantha is the woman who at the beginning of of the movie, like we were talking about not long ago, commits herself to the asylum. She's a little bit of an older actress. She has a relationship with John Stryker, the director of this Audra film. It was weird because they made it sound like she escaped and they never showed the face of her friend who helped her escape, which I thought was odd. It was like a plot point that just went away. She shows up to the mansion uninvited because Audra's role is supposed to be hers. And he's kind moved past that and brought all these other actresses in so yeah by the end of the movie she shoots john striker and one of the actresses he was sleeping with because he was speaking of casting hot tubs and casting couches he was doing his best to sleep with everybody kills one of the actresses and kills him meanwhile the comedian was killing everybody else and then that's how you got the reveal was the two killers revealing to each other that they were the killers that part was kind of neat well yeah because she's like well where's john and samantha's like well he's gone samantha says where's everybody else and she's like well they're gone 
then she pulls out a knife and kills Samantha. That's the movie. Somewhere in there, the housekeeper guy, the lawn guy, whatever he is, the maintenance man, the helper, he gets killed. Michael Wincott. Yeah, he gets killed somewhere along the line. Um, And then the movie's over. Well, there was one thing you're leaving out, and that is the final victim had a pretty extended chase scene. The killer's trying to get her, which we find out is the comedian. She's wearing the creepy old lady mask. And I thought that was a great sequence. It was longer than the others, but uh, it was balanced. It was action, action packed. And it was all in this giant movie prop memorabilia museum. And I, I don't know. I just thought everything about that scene was great. And probably a lot of it was the props, but they, they interacted with the set well. It looked like it was choreographed well. It had some suspense, some tension. So that, that was a fun scene. Again, I think it would have been even more enjoyable, like, like we both said, Brian, if it was exposed, if you could fucking see it. You could look through there and see all the Easter eggs that were in the in the props. You know, maybe there's a poster or something from another movie, or it looks like it's from another movie. Yeah, that would be a fun scene to watch. I mean, maybe turn the movie back on and turn your light up on your TV all the way. You know, your brightness. See if that would help. I thought about doing that, but I was afraid it was going to wash everything out. And I was going to have the same problem, just brighter. Yeah, because I said to Tiffany, I was like, this movie's so dark. And she's like, is it the brightness on the TV? And then I was like, no, because when it goes to the commercial, you can see like, I don't even remember what commercial kept popping up, but it was like really bright, you know, yellow and pink and orange. I was like, that looks great. And then it goes back to the movie and it's so dark. It had to be on purpose. I don't even know if it was on purpose. I think what happened was they were on set and they're like, all right, ready, camera, at Hey, where the fuck's the lighting guy? You know, Joe didn't show today. Ah, fuck it. Roll camera, you know. Turn the lamp on in the corner. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And the the movie does end, which I thought, again, was a cool element. The comedian who we find out is the killer. It ends with her now being committed in the psych ward. So you start in the psych ward, you end in the psych ward. And she's doing her stand-up routine in front of the other patients, which I don't know if it was in her head or she was actually doing it. But she's standing next to a sign that says, performing as Audrey which I thought was neat because that was the character she was going for. And well, she got it. I think one of the differences from this movie and Thanksgiving is there are elements of this movie I could take out and I'd like. There's things in this movie I'm like, if I got more of that and more of this and less of this or just that story, I would like that. Thanksgiving gave me nothing new. And I've talked about this before on past episodes that I think there are these kind of really obscure early horror movies that a remake would actually benefit. And I think this is one of them. I would love to see someone. Hell, no, never mind. Not Eli Roth. Sorry, Eli Roth. I'd love to see someone get a hold of this and and make it so much better because there's a lot of potential there. Do you want to rate it? Yeah. (laughs) He's like, yeah. So I started out at a, a five. It was okay. I mean, it was fine. I think I worked my way up to a six. There are things I like about this movie. The acting was good. I love the mask. That would be a cool mask to have and go to Clint's house and just kind of stand outside in the grass, maybe look in the windows. Please do so. I need some excitement in my life. <laughs> Put it on your... Uh, the old lady in your garage. The grandma. Grandma, my garage protector. So yeah, I, g- I gave it a 6 out of 10 psych ward performances. I'm not going to be as generous as you. Yeah, there are a lot more elements about this film that I liked than Thanksgiving, the last movie we covered in the last episode. But Thanksgiving was um, a better, well put together movie. This curtains need some work. And I gave it four creepy ass pointless dolls out of 10. I wanted to give it more because like, and we're repeating ourselves, but all those elements were there, but it just, 
I think it's hardly watchable. That makes it worse when you're trying to figure out what's going on and you can't see what the fuck's going on. I read somewhere that this was a staple of late night TV through the 80s and 90s. Can you imagine watching this movie on a TV in the 80s or 90s? How fucking dark it would be then? But I can I can see why it's a staple, why it was a staple of late night TV, because it's safe enough for TV. There's some blood, but there's nothing. Well, the, you know, they'd have to... Um, there's a couple boob shots here and there they would have to take out. You just darken it up a little bit. You can't see anything. <laughs> Maybe that's, well, that's the only time that the lighting guy showed up is when there was flesh. You know what I mean? He's like, boobs? All right, I'll be there. I'll be there on Thursday if you're doing the boob scene. <laughs> but yeah, I, I could see it being a staple of late night TV. Like you said, there's not a lot of blood. There's not a lot of gore. There's a couple of what you probably had cut like. 10 seconds out of the fucking movie if that you can show almost the whole movie i'd probably watch it again if it was on like oh curtains is on i'll stop here or maybe i wouldn't maybe i'd go through you know again and be like oh curtains is on i know the director doesn't want to watch it he didn't come out and publicly say that but i don't know if you caught this but the director richard i don't know how you say his name c-i-u-p-k-a and then if you look at his body of work, it's all dramatic stuff, which makes sense if he was the director of this film and it had a strong dramatic tone. But he chose not to be in the credits as the director. So if you watch the credits, the credits are, what is it, John? Yeah, John Stryker, which is the fictional director in this film. Did you see in the credits too? Um, did you watch the credits? Uh, I watched like the first 30 seconds of them. You know, I didn't really pay much attention to them. But. I had never seen this before. It said Act 1, and then it listed... You know, a bunch of credits, cinematographer, grip, director, blah, blah, blah. And then it said act two. And it was just like a continuation of credits like you would normally see. It wasn't like act one, location one, you know, act two is location two or whatever. I, I kind of want to go back and, and look at that a little more just because that stuff interests me. And then when we found out researching this film that it went through reshoots and stuff, I, I thought it was because it was theatrical. So act one, act two and trying to be different. I don't know. You know someone else who's different? Well, besides me? Well, no, not that different. <laughs> Close. <laughs> Our podcast network, the PFPN. So let's hear from them. Maybe one of them can get a hold of us and explain this movie. This is a Brian Clark movie, isn't it? It is. Oh, for sure. I'm going to ask him. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. So now that we've heard from our podcast network, it's the time for this week in horror history. Two weeks in horror history. This day, whatever the hell it is. This time period in horror history. We talk about old shit. A date which will live in infamy. So this episode covers December 11th through the 24th, the day before Christmas. Santa Claus is coming. So on December 12th of 1941, we get The Wolfman, which is not the original Wolfman, because that would have been earlier, right? The original was 40-something. 
Was it 41? Because Frankenstein was like 33. 1941. So it is original. Hell, I don't know. This movie's better anyway, and more important in my life. What do you mean? I love the Wolfman. Well, I do too, but in 1986, we get the class of Newcomb High. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to watch? <laughs> right. I, mean, I mean, the Wolfman is, I mean, a, a great movie. It's pop culture, all that shit, but the class of Newcomb High. The class in Newcomb High is yet another one of those weird off the beaten path movies that happens have to have a collector's toy on Inkmirrors.com. And then uh, in 1992, we get Godzilla and Mothra, The Battle for Earth. Clint's still watching Class of Newcomb High. Yes. Um, and then in 1997, we get Scream 2. We're still going Class of Newcomb High. Scream 2 came out in December? December 2nd, wow. 1997. That's so weird. Well, I guess not. The, the last ones have been coming out in January. It makes sense. They just kind of throw them out whenever. I don't feel like Scream's a horror movie that needs to come out in October for it to have a large following. In 1922, Vampira, the horror hostess who appeared in Plan 9 from Outer Space, is born. Yeah. Let me dock in the room. And we shall come in. Get on Tubi. And there's a documentary called vampira and me and it is great it is it's you get a history for her and uh the, the person who did the interview kind of friended her throughout the later part of her life uh he cared about the what he was doing he cared about her if you're a vampire fan who to this day is still kind of shrouded in mystery for as much of a an icon as she is vampira and me on tubi check it out How's the lighting? Way better than curtains. <laughs> they just turned on the light in the room and recorded it. <laughs> What's sad about that is a lot of stuff that she did when you know she brought that vampire character to life. It was the birth of television. And so a lot of that stuff we just don't have preserved to see. Some things pop up here and there, and there's a few clips of this and a few clips of that. But it's not like we can go watch it on Nick at Night and watch season one and two of the Vampire Show which is sad. That was another news article I had thought about covering. Del, how do you say his name? Del, Del Toro, you know, the director. Gomero Del Toro. Yeah. And uh, the guy that did Oppenheimer. Chris Nolan. Chris Nolan said, go buy this movie. Buy a physical copy of this movie. Please. I saw that. And then Del Toro jumped on and was like, you people that collect physical media are the stewards of a generation that without you, these movies may disappear. Like a lot of the stuff from Vampire's Age disappeared. And it's happening a lot. I like Tubi, but I know that Tubi is editing some films and taking stuff out. And maybe it's not them. You know, maybe it's somebody higher up that's saying, cut that out, cut that out, cut that out. I didn't know that. And the films are getting kind of cut. That's where companies like Severin and Terror Vision and Vinegar Syndrome and Arrow and on and on and on are super important with this age of everything things going digital because again you can't find cemetery man streaming anywhere and if severin doesn't grab it and put it on a disc it may disappear and, you know and television's doing that with a lot of the shot on video stuff from the 80s and 90s that if it's not put on a disc it's gonna disappear i mean attack of the killer refrigerator may not be a great film it's fun it's on youtube but there's also like 20 minutes in the middle where there's no sound. So if they don't grab that and put it on a disc, it may disappear someday. And to me, film is as important in this culture as a book or music. And we preserve all that. Why not do it with movies? This is not to take away from anything you just said, because I agree with it 100%. It was beautiful. But as you are going into that monologue, I just pictured this dramatic music coming up behind you. 
the lights dimming. (laughs) (laughs) But you're right. No, you're, you're absolutely a hundred percent right. And to, to throw a little more comedy in there, that means that you and I are stewards of class in Newcomb High and curtains and all of these great films that we discuss and not only just us, but check out other podcasts. If you're a horror fan, maybe you're going to get turned on to something you never heard of, or maybe you're going to find a new appreciation for something you forgot about or didn't like except Eli Ross Thanksgiving or demoniacs, but anything is possible. Yeah. We'll forget those two. So let's see in December 16th in 1938, a Christmas Carol. Yeah, that fits perfect with this episode. It does. And then in 1959, The Mummy, which I don't think that's the original Mummy either. You'll probably look it up and be like, oh yeah, 1959 was The Mummy. I was never a fan of that. Sorry. The original? Yeah. Really, any. I've I've never been a Mummy guy. I guess I can't just type in The Mummy and get a release date. When (laughs) was the original (laughs) Mummy released? 1932. Okay, so this is one of the offshoots. And then uh, one of Finley and I's favorite Godzilla movies in 1967, The Son of Godzilla. One of the better Godzilla movies. How big is the Godzilla universe? Do you know like how many films are in the Godzilla universe? Oop, I'll look it up. This is a click, click, click episode. How many films are in the Godzilla universe? 38 films. The Godzilla film franchise consists of 38 films, 36 of which are produced by Toho Company Limited, a Japanese company. So that can't be right because there's, well, I guess it could be. One offshoots. I mean, you got Gamera is not the Godzilla universe, but it's kind of an offshoot where another company was like, we want to do something that's, you know, as popular as Godzilla. So they got Gamera and, you know, Ultraman kind of ties into that. There's probably close to not quite, but close to 100 films maybe in the, the universe. Yeah. And I mean, you think Pacific Rim is an offshoot of Godzilla because it's a kaiju movie. Yeah. Just on and on and on. Kind of like when you talk about like Bigfoot or cryptids, you know, they all start tumbling together, kind of like the Marvel movies have, you know, they're just like this shoot and this off. But that's one of our favorite ones. It's, you know, 1967. It's still a guy in a rubber suit and a little kid in a rubber suit. And it's just fun. Actually, it has a decent story, too. Um, and then on December 20th, this is the like area where it gets good. 1974, you get Black Christmas. 1978, you get Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Not the original, but probably the best. Probably the best, yeah. Yeah, in 1996, you get Scream. In 2004, you get Creep. I haven't seen that yet. It's on my list. I just haven't gotten around to it. And then in 2005, you get Santa's Slay. That one with Bill Goldberg, right? I think so. Yeah, so, I mean, eh, outside of, you know, Class of Newcomb High, you know, Black Christmas, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Scream and Creep, it's a pretty good for late in December. It's not a bad horror rundown. It's an eclectic group of movies that you that you just put together, weave together. But in that group, you mentioned Marvel movies. And all I know is anytime I try to figure out anything that's going on in the Marvel Universe, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? So I have absolutely nothing going on, which is not bad because I can sit around and catch up on some of these horror films that I've been wanting to see. I mean, what more could you want? Snowed in, watching scary movies. What about you? You got anything? 
It's Christmas time. That's all I got is stuff going on. If anybody's listened to the show before, they know that my real human job is working at UPS. And so I'm just nonstop balls to the wall. Although it's it's not as intense as it used to be. People shop earlier and earlier, and I'm actually starting to see people starting to spend less money. But regardless, it's Christmas time in Hollis, Queens, and I am out delivering packages. But something else that's going on right now besides my ongoing, uh, you know, working and to bring the haunt complex yet to be named i've got some names floating around i'll be doing some announcements on that soon is i'm actually really excited the next episode so this is going on because brian and i have to watch this film again thank god i love it i love to have a reason i don't need a fucking reason so right about now we are watching the 1960 boris karloff classic Black Sabbath. That's what's going on with me, and I'm pretty excited about it. There's also a uh, relationally induced mental breakdown happening, but don't worry about that. <laughs> I'll be just fine. Where? My house or your house? Oh. Everybody's house. Everybody. Everybody's house. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know this girl named Audra. She could probably... I was going to say, I'm auditioning for the lead in this film called Audra. Maybe it'll be good. You got a lighting guy or person? I have my own light kit, and I got my own camera. I'm a one-man crew. Hot damn. You're already doing better production than curtains. And they had $3.7 million to do it with. Are you serious? I looked for a budget. I couldn't. $3.7 what? You said billion. Million. Million. Okay. Million. No, they didn't have billion. Hell, maybe they... It would have probably been worse if they had billion. Did you find what it made? Like a million dollars in North America. Oh, wow. Hell, it's probably made more than that showing on late night TV and with, is it on Blu-ray? I think it is on Blu-ray somewhere. I didn't look. Yeah, actually, I should look because again, I wonder if I could see a better quality, uh, you know, of that. I wonder if I'd enjoy it more. You couldn't enjoy it less. It's Christmas. Somebody buy me curtains. Brian, buy me curtains. Buy curtains? The movie. Yes. Not for the house. I do need some new window treatments. That's kind of weird too. Like the last two movies, Thanksgiving and Curtains, we definitely need to do Black Sabbath. Yeah, people need to know that we actually enjoy film. So the next one is a doozy. Should we? Nah, we'll, we'll say why we're doing it on that episode. Not the band either. Although we could play some of their music. Well, now that you've heard about the movie Curtains, what we're up to, why we're poor, the news, horror history, and that we're covering Black Sabbath on the next episode. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Listen for. Spill the guts for your horror news, appendages for your crackle and red box streaming, mishmash for your Michigan mint monster happenings. Check out the I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast. What else? Oh, Indie Spotlight. Indie Spotlight. Coming again at you next month. That'll be a surprise because we'll be surprised. Everybody's going to be surprised. Maybe we'll have Audra on. She can talk with us. Now nah, we'll just have Leah Stalker on. <laughs> Be a different personality so no one knows it's you. Like old school radio, we're just playing different characters. I like that. That's cool. Just don't give me a script. I'll be good. God, no. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Listen to I Like a Spooky Horror Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And head over to Good Pods, last episode's sponsor. Check them out. We're up to number three on the Indie Top 100. That's amazing. That You just shared that information with me. I didn't know that. That feels really... Hey, I needed to hear that today. Thank you. That's cool. Yeah, we were like 12 last week. We're up to number three this week. Somebody's listening to the show over there. Yeah, it's a pretty fun app. So check out Good Pods. And this episode's sponsored too. Check them out. Check everybody out and take care and have a Merry Christmas. It's almost Christmas time when you're this bad looking every day's Christmas because life is a gift. Take care. Bye bye. <laughs> I can't even follow that one up. <laughs> Thank you.
What's wrong with you, man? Show some fucking respect for the dead, will ya?